You're listening to special programming brought to you by Ragana Kuman Henry of Coldwell Banker Premier Realty. The content of this program does not reflect the views or opinions of 91.5 Jazz and More, the University of Nevada Las Vegas, or the Board of Regents of the Nevada System of Higher Education. Welcome to the Southern Nevada Real Estate Show. I'm your host, Regana, and today I have a very special guest, Brent Jones, owner and chief appraiser of R3 Appraisal Management Company, talking about real estate appraisals to help the listeners out there understand the appraisal process, the role that an appraisal has in the transaction, and how appraisals are changing with our changing housing market, Welcome, Brent. Uh, hi, Regana. How are you today? Great. How are Good. you? Thank you for having me. Great, great. And Brent, you know, for the listeners out there um, that uh, may not uh, have heard you before or just for the first time, how many years have you been an appraiser in Southern Nevada? Well, you know, some of my peers might argue too long. <laughs> I've, I've been here about 30 years now. I started as an intern in 1990, I actually worked wow. for a friend of mine for free and uh, said, I want to be an appraiser. And in 92, I was licensed. So this is my 30th year as of September wow. in, in the Valley doing appraisals. And it's been a, uh, it's been quite a, quite a ride. I'm sure you probably have witnessed, seen and heard a whole lot of things in 30 <laughs> years. And Wow, that's uh, you have great experience. So, Brent, you know, for the listeners out there that may not know or maybe they're first-time buyers, what is the purpose of an appraisal for a lender, Brent? So, lenders use our appraisal to really understand what the collateral is that they're making the loan on. Uh, they're concerned about the equity position of the borrower and the rates that people get dependent upon their equity position can be different. And so the appraisal is done either for a purchase transaction or we actually do them for refinance transactions as well. Okay. And also, Brent, uh, thank you for that explanation for the lender side. And also for anyone that's never purchased a home before, Brent, what would be the purpose of an appraisal for a purchaser? So uh, while you're not uh, specifically our client, it does give you an idea. As a borrower, you do receive a copy of the appraisal, and it gives you an idea whether you're paying market value or whether you're paying over or whether you're getting a deal. So while it's meant for the lender and they use it for their process, uh, the buyer certainly gets a copy and they're able to see what our analysis is and what the final estimate of value is. Okay. And Brent, uh, for the listeners out there also, what are the different, let's say, types of appraisals that you yourself uh, specialize in, Brent? So I, I do conventional appraisers, appraisals only. Uh, I do have a number of uh, independent contractor appraisers that do work for the appraisal management company that do FHA. And then VA appraisers have a special certification, and those appraisals are ordered uh, through the lender directly and not through an appraisal management company. Okay. And so 
Do you specialize in FHA, VA, and conventional loan appraisals altogether, all of them? Just myself, conventional, but our company, we do FHA, conventional, and we also do private appraisals for non-mortgage transactions, uh, whether it be probate work or uh, estate settlement, uh, tax tax purposes, or uh, anything else where an appraisal is needed for uh, any kind of litigation. Okay. And Brent, uh, what are the primary, like, for example, differences between the three uh, loans of FHA, VA, and uh, the conventional appraisal? So technically, they should be the same. The value is the value. FHA and VA pay a little bit closer attention to the property condition. And so with an FHA or VA appraisal, they will be making sure that there are no health and safety issues and or any chipping and peeling paint, especially for homes that were built before 1978 with lead uh, issues. And so it's a much more thorough inspection with FHA and VA. They will check outlets, electrical appliances. They'll make sure things are working more towards a home inspection. But the conventional, we just go into the property and we're just... We're just assessing the collateral, assuming that everything is working. Okay, that's good to know for the listeners also. And Brent, uh, for example, regarding new construction, do you perform appraisals for lenders on new construction homes? Absolutely. So, uh, and the difference there is we use as our comparable sales, we use uh, two homes from within the subdivision. So we're comparing apples to the the builder's apple, if you would. And then we also are tasked with finding an outside sales comparable from a competing builder, as well as a listing or two pendings to reflect what the current market is. So yes, we do do it for them, but it is a little bit different in that we don't compare it against resale homes because traditionally new construction has carried a premium to it as it still does today. Okay. And when you do an appraisal for new construction, Brent, do you ever like, for example, have a difficult time with the appraisal coming in at value? So there are those instances where uh, we have a, uh, borrower, if you would, who's gone a little too crazy in the design center, and they've picked out a a bundle of options that isn't typical in the neighborhood. And so in those cases, the the property is over-improved and we can't support that value. And in those cases, the borrower has to come up and make make the difference. Uh, for the most part, people stay pretty consistent with their neighborhoods. But now that we're starting to see some markets kind of soften, we're seeing some homes that are under contract early in the year that are now having trouble appraising out. So dependent upon each specific market area, then uh, it, that's what we look at. So we do have issues. Uh, Again, it doesn't happen all the time, but it certainly can happen. That's why it's very important to make sure that your option package is consistent with the rest of your neighborhood. Okay, good to know if someone else is trying to purchase new construction. And Brent, if there are not, for example, if there's not enough comps around a home you're appraising, then how would you determine the appraised value? So my job for the lender is to find three sold comparable sales and provide one or two listings depending upon the lender. 
So I will do whatever it takes to get that. Sometimes I have to stretch out the proximity from the subject. Sometimes I have to stretch out the square footage filter. For instance, if we had a 2,500 square foot home, I may have to expand it to 2,000 to 3,000. So my job is to find the apples to apples comp so I don't have to make adjustments. So to answer your question, in markets like this that are moving, have moved quickly up and quickly down, I'm going to try and find the most recent comp so I don't have to make those appreciation or depreciation adjustments. Okay. And Brent, what are considered, for example, a major upgrade in a home that would help uh, to increase the appraised value? So it's the old adage, kitchens and bathrooms uh, are are really the main areas for, uh, to begin any kind of renovation. Obviously, flooring, paint, uh, curb appeal, cleaning up the front yards, backyard, uh, roof if necessary, uh, the major components. Uh, there's no specific breakdown as to what each of them return. My job is when we do find have homes that have those kind of upgrades, I'm going to try and find those similar properties that have been renovated. Again, my job, and this will be a repeating theme today, is we're trying to compare apples to apples. Okay. And for the listeners out there that might not be aware, are you, for example, able to give the full value of what a homeowner paid for, let's say, an in-ground pool when performing an appraisal? So, unfortunately, we don't make any friends when it comes to pools. Uh, They've now gotten very, very expensive uh, because of materials and labor, and we do struggle uh, to make those adjustments for dollar for dollar. They're generally a fractional amount, but again, I'm going to stretch my proximities out and my square footage filters to try and find a pool comp so I can give it as much value as it deserves, and especially we live in the desert. So pools, you know, absolutely do have homes that sell at a premium and it is getting closer and closer. The numbers certainly are going up for what we do adjust for pools nowadays. Mm -hmm. This is true. Um, And for the listeners out there also with track homes, uh, for example, being so identical and Las Vegas being comprised of so many track homes, how do you appraise one at a higher value than another when they both have the same floor plan, similar upgrades, uh, similar lot size? If you are appraising them both, let's say, within the same time period, how do you do that? Again, I'm going to try and find the the home that is the most similar to it. Uh, And then if not, then we, we will make an adjustment based on our professional opinion as to how much more those upgrades really contributed. Uh, It does become a very subjective adjustment. We're only able to make adjustments that we can statistically prove and upgrades and condition is very subjective and in the eyes of the professionals. So we do the best we can to try and find like properties. We'll go out of the subdivision if it makes sense, if it's a similar style home, two-story, similar age, competing builder, uh, we're not afraid to do that because I don't want to have to make an adjustment that I can't support. Okay, that's a good good explanation. Thank you for being so thorough. And Brent, how do you appraise custom homes? For example, I uh, had a purchase 
contract with a buyer uh, last year, and the home was just so uh, different and unique. Uh, there was actually a warehouse in the back of the custom home, and the appraiser had a horrible time trying to uh, comp it with other homes because nothing had a warehouse in the back. My client was crazy about it, you know, <laughs> single guy. But, you know, it just was very, very challenging. So when you when you don't have another custom home that has recently so, sold within the same uh, radius uh, uh, with the, some kind of similar features, what do you do, Brent? You know what? Sometimes the entire valley becomes our search area. Uh, again, not all custom homes are created equal. And in fact, what you talk about warehouses in the back and big garage spaces and RV and outbuildings, you know, we call those unicorns, if you would, because they're just nobody builds those to sell them again. So they become a comp. So what we try and do is we'll look at the cost estimates for that particular improvement. We'll depreciate some of the cost. That's one way that we'll look at it. The other way that we'll look at it is we will try and find a home that has that, whether it be anywhere in the valley, and we'll try and basically extract what the premium was for that in terms of percentage basis. How much more did it really add to the value of the property? Again, trying to find a comp that is without it and when with it, how much more would I pay for that improvement? Sure. And it becomes subjective because guess what? Not that's for, for some people who have a number of cars or, or, or you know, or want to have a shop in their backyard, they will pay a premium for that. That's not necessarily a typical buyer. Right, right. So, yeah. So thank you for that explanation mm -hmm. on, on those type of situations. And Brent, for example, I've had uh, sellers in the past uh, representing them say, oh, my house is worth so much more if it's on a corner lot or cul-de-sac. Um, do you give like a lot of uh, value to corner lots or cul-de-sac homes? So corner lots have an, have an offset. Uh, it's very hard for us to prove that a corner lot is more valuable because you do have the added traffic considerations. And while you do have nobody to one side of you or the other, you do have traffic coming both ways. Uh, it's not very clear cut. With cul-de-sac and premium lots on cul-de-sacs, the pie-shaped lots, we absolutely do see a premium for that. It makes good sense for people, for families with children that want to have their children be able to play out there without worrying about oncoming traffic. So we do see a premium for those kind of uh, locations. Okay. And Brent, uh, regarding uh, views, how much difference can a home that, let's say, has a strip view, being in Las Vegas, a strip view, uh, how how much difference uh, with a home that has one of those strip views uh, differ uh, versus a home in the same community that doesn't, let's say, have a, a, a strip view? And how do you determine how much extra value to give the home that has that view? Right. And and the one thing we always know in this in this town is, is views are borrowed. Uh, we never know whether a house is going to be backing a golf course. Uh, we don't know whether there's going to be buildings in front of it. Uh, but to answer your question, there's no there's no ballparks. There's no hard and fast rules what views are because you and I could be at the same house and you would pay a much different amount for that view. It would be more important for you than it is for me. So what we try and do is we try and find that view comp 
so we don't have to make that adjustment. And generally, when we have that, we're able to see what that premium is. But I mean, we had homes that were built new construction in Seven Hills. I mean, they had two hundred to two hundred fifty thousand dollar view premiums for views of Rio Seco and and the Strip. With every sale that happens in those neighborhoods that are on the golf course, that view adjustment is is adjusted uh, based on what that current sale is. So they're they're a tough. It's a tough analysis. It's not it's not a simple uh, formula. We we try and look not only in that subdivision, but we'll other try and find other subdivisions where there may be a home with a view and not, and we can extract that premium. Okay, good to know. And let's flip for a minute to high-rise condos. Um, how much more money is a, a high-rise condo worth that, let's say, is on a higher floor, let, let's say the 20th floor, than a lower floor, let's say the fifth floor, regarding condo, those high-rise condos being in the same building uh, and having the same floor, floor plan? How do you determine how much more money that condo on the higher floor is worth and, like, what is the rule of how much more money a high-rise condo is worth for each each higher floor it's located at, Brent. Yeah. And, and there's really no rule because a uh, a floor difference in Turnberry would be different than Allure, if you would. Uh, the more important consideration is uh, which way the view is facing, uh, the strip view uh, as opposed to a north or valley-facing view to the to the west uh, is not going to carry as much of a premium as any of those units that, that actually look out to the strip. Uh, again, when we look at higher floors, we're going to try and fly, find higher floor comps. And in some towers like Turnberry, I think after the eighth floor or before the eighth floor, some of those units are staring at a parking garage. So we're going to really try not to use those. We're going to really look for the orientation. And sometimes we can prove that there's a floor differential and sometimes we can't. But common sense would dictate that the higher the floor, guess what? The better the view, it should be worth more. What that is, is is just each separate analysis. Okay. And uh, Brent, here's a question that a lot of people are probably wondering about. Uh, with the real estate market having price corrections currently and prices being lowered right now and a lot of uh, pricing adjustments, how is that impacting your appraisals? And are you having to predict, let's say, for example, what's going to happen in the coming months, like predict it like a Houdini, um, <laughs> to appreciate to appraise the home? Or are you like focused on the present time? When you're performing the appraisal, how is that working out? So our job is to create a snapshot in time. Uh, you know, I went through the uh, 2007 to 2014, and my crystal ball was very murky then, mm -hmm. and uh, it's murky today. Uh, we look at inventory. We look at supply and demand. Uh, it's uh, The supply side has really moved up significantly since February. We were at about two two weeks supply now. Uh, we're at four months. We have over 10,000 homes in inventory, uh, which includes condos, townhomes, manufacturing, single family. Whereas the first of the year, buyers couldn't buy a home. They couldn't get one, couldn't get an offer accepted. Right now, there are plenty of homes for people to buy, but now we have two other issues. We have affordability, which is a function of interest rates, and we have credit availability where the, the secondary markets are 
very, very skittish about making loans at 7% when they know that they're going to come back and be refinanced very quickly if when rates do move back down. So we try and find the most recent comps in markets that are moving up and markets that are moving sideways or down. So we try not to have to make those adjustments. But uh, it is uh, in some markets, we, we started seeing some appraisals where it is being marked declining market. And uh, the comps that were used for March and April were actually deducted downward for those time adjustments. Okay. And do you include distressed sales as comps when you're appraising a home that is not a distressed sale brand? You know what? If it, it with if I don't have to, I absolutely won't because it's not a fair indication of what true market value is. Uh, again, we like that information from the agents when we meet them at the property. They can tell us whether it's been, you know, it was close to being a, a foreclosure or a short sale, or there was a divorce situation where they lowered the price significantly. So whenever we have the agents inside information, if you would, on that particular neighborhood, uh, because you farm them, uh, that's very beneficial to us. But again, all things being equal, I'm going to look for market transactions, typical buyer and seller motivations, and uh, arm's length transactions, not between family members. Okay. And for example, if there are enough foreclosures, which we haven't had, or short sales, which we haven't had, would you at all ever um, use those with the traditional seller? Only if there was absolutely no data at all. Uh, but again, I'm going to really try and find uh, apples to apples. And if the home I'm appraising is not a distressed sale, then I'm going to be looking for non-distressed sales to compare it to. Okay. And how do you perform an appraisal on a home that is like more upgraded than any other home in the neighborhood or in the area? And is it and is in an area where the homes are not as well kept as the one that you're appraising? How do you deal with that? So again, we are going to, uh, you know, we don't have perfect data all the time, but for the most part in Las Vegas, we're very lucky. Uh, there've been a lot of flip properties, a lot of good renovated properties that have gone on the market. So we're able to capture most of those upgrades by using comps that have been renovated or updated at least. And so again, we can try and give as much value to those improvements as we possibly can, because the bottom line is for the lender, we have to support our adjustments and we have to support our market value. And the way we do that is by having homes that have sold over or at those same levels with the same level of upgrades. Okay. And can a homeowner hire you to do an appraisal to, let's say, determine what they should sell their home for? And will the buyer's lender be able to use that same appraisal report once there is a purchase agreement with that seller? Yeah, you know, as, as a seller, uh, you may not like the answer. Uh, I, I do a lot of private appraisals where I'm asked to appraise the property because the uh, the seller's expectation is is unrealistic. So uh, when you have a private appraisal, you have that choice. You may not like the answer, but you can also put it in the drawer. It doesn't uh, go anywhere. There's no record of it. Uh, the downside to it is if, if you like the value, you can always use it to market the property. But there is a second appraisal. If you do go under contract, that buyer can't use that appraisal. So that is a, another cost uh, as part of the, the lending transaction. 
I see. And Brent, how many months uh, is an appraisal um, good for? So FHA and VA have different requirements. If you have a FHA appraisal, it sticks with the property uh, for about four months, I believe is the number, and VA is longer. A conventional appraisal does not stick with the property. You could have a conventional one uh, done, and if the deal fell out and you needed another appraisal, it could be done you know, within a, you know, a couple days if, if the case need be. So there's no rules for conventional uh, accepting a conventional offer. But with FHA and VA, that value does stick with the property for a time. And that's really uh, who who you should talk to the lender about. Okay. And is it true that an FHA appraisal will automatically stick for six months, even if the current sell cancels and the seller accepts another offer with another FHA buyer and they have... Uh, another FHA appraisal performed? Yeah, it's. I think the number is four months, and I would I would check with your lender on that. But uh, that doesn't really concern us. But it does certainly concern the the parties to a transaction. Absolutely. Okay, and how do you perform appraisals for investors uh, flipping homes quickly after they purchase the home? And what do you consider in order for the home? to appraise for a higher value in such a short period of time? So we always go back to the, uh, we always go back to the investor and we get a list of their upgrades uh, and their costs and they provide those to us. So once we have that, we're able to build the case for trying to find similar homes that have been renovated. And again, we'll stretch our proximity out as far as we need to go and uh, uh, to find a like comp because we want to be able to give it fair value. And the way we do that is to find a home that has those similar upgrades, even if it is in a similar area, competing area, uh, that uh, we, we, we value the property fairly and give them as, as much value as is warranted. Okay. And Brent, was it challenging in the recent past to comp homes when it was a total seller's market so many months ago, uh, you know, because there were so many buyers out there paying above the appraised value in cash just to get the offer accepted. How did you do appraisals back then? Right. So we would make time adjustments based on the appreciation figures that we could prove. And uh, also, Whenever in the contract it's written that the buyer is willing to pay over appraisal, that's kind of code to us that everybody knows that the appraisal is going to come in low because they they've over they overpaid. I mean, we had bedlam, uh, you know, for the for quite a few months of people falling all over each other. You could have a home on the market not even coming soon, and you'd have five or six offers. And it was really fueled by the mortgage, uh, you know, by the low mortgage rates and COVID, with people realizing they they didn't have to wait to retire here. So uh, that's the uh, that's how we did it. We came in short a lot, uh, and the buyers, uh, for the most part, were prepared to. Uh, to offer uh, to pay their own money as opposed to the bank's money. Very good to know. Very good information, Brent. And Brent, what is like, for example, the most unique property you've ever appraised in in your career uh, that really stands out for you? 
No, that's a t- <laughs> well, I've, I accepted an order uh, and I didn't really research it. And I showed up and it was a two-story dome home and uh, where there is absolutely no comparable properties whatsoever. So I actually was out of my league there. <laughs> so, a dome so, home. Yeah, How do so, you do that you, one? You know what? You, I, I didn't. <laughs> I walked off and went, you know what? Sometimes you got to know your limitations. So, wow. Yeah. Wow. So yeah, if, if you have crazy, you know, if there are homes that are crazy or have bunkers or, you know, all those kind of things that uh, sometimes as an appraiser, you have to say, hey, you know what? I, I, I don't know the answer here. I'm going to defer to somebody who may have had that experience. Okay. Yeah, that's interesting. A dome home. Wow. And, you know, for example, last question. When you're appraising a home uh, for a buyer, do you ever, like, have to deal with uh, unhappy sellers? Oh, all the time. Yeah. In fact, part of what we do is in our appraisal management company is we communicate with everybody why the appraisal came in low. And we actually take calls from the sellers and the listing agent, the buyer's agent. We're very transparent about what, uh, uh, about what we do and uh, who, who gets the information and being able to help everybody understand why we did what we did is very important. Okay, sounds good. Yeah, so you've been a very wealth of information, uh, Brent, with your you're very welcome wonderful, wonderful knowledge of um, of real estate appraisals, and uh, you know you are very much uh, a master in your field. And Brent, thank you so much for being on my show today. My and pleasure. Yes, fun. yes, it was really a blast to have you. Please say your name company name and phone number tries for the listeners so they can uh, write your number down. Okay. It's Brent Jones. My cell phone is 702-591-7245. My company name is R3 Appraisal Management and my license number is A.0001382-RES. Okay. Maybe say it one more time with the phone number. So 702-591-7245. Okay, thank you so much, Brent. It's been a pleasure. And I am Regana Kuman Henry with Coldwell Banker Premier Realty, your host for the Southern Nevada Real Estate Show that airs every fourth Sunday of the month at 7.30 a.m. My number is 702-596-1267. That's 702-596-1267. And my license number is BS. Two seven eight eight zero. Thank you so much for listening to my show today, and I wish everyone listening a great Sunday and a great week. <laughs>